You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. This is the Spectral Skull Session, and I am your host, Dane. Today, a couple stories about the esoteric, stories from around the world that are either not being covered or being covered in an occulted way, a way that conceals their true nature. First of all, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, he's been tweeting about the discovery of uh, ancient mythical creatures, the Alux, traditional Mayan creatures, something like imps or elves in Irish folklore, but they're said to be guardians of the crops who play tricks on you if you infringe on their territory in order to scare you away. Well, it turns out they're not so mythical because the president of Mexico has tweeted a photo of one. It's a sort of three-foot-tall cryptid up in a tree. Uh, It has two bright eyes and what appears to be maybe a mane of hair. Maybe it has a blonde wig on. Um, Or maybe it's wearing a hat and the hat is flopping down. Now, he didn't just tweet out an image of a cryptid like you're hearing in the mainstream press. He also included another photo. It's a stone-cut figurine. And this is a photo, he says it's a pre-Hispanic cultural ruin at a site called Ekbalam. It appears to depict a sprightly elfin creature with a large hat. It's like a stocking cap type hat that's sort of going off in the up to the air, but also kind of flopping over to the left. And so maybe he's insinuating, in fact, I think he certainly is insinuating, these two photos are representations of the same thing. The one on the left, a representation, a real cryptid, and the one on the right is the original prehistoric, sort of prehistoric representation. And he signed the tweet, Todo es místico. Everything is mystical. That's really cool. So the president of Mexico, at least he's trying to drum up tourism with some interesting photos. Now, I looked into the Alux, and I learned that uh, all over Central America, you'll see these little replicas of the Mayan pyramids. And I've, I saw one of these when I was in uh, Belize, and I thought it was just a replica of the Mayan pyramids. Well, it turns out they actually build these little pyramids as homes for the Alux. And they'll put them under overpasses or near the fields so that the Alux can hang out there, I guess, during the day. And then they come out at night to guard the crops. Oh, and I also learned that the Alux, there's a legend about their origin that says that they were actually created through magic by high priests of the Maya religion, 
These high priests apparently took mud from a cave where no woman had ever stepped foot, and they mixed the mud together with honey flowers and nine drops of blood. Then it took an 18-day process, and they were able to create the Alux, which still live to this day. So that's a Gollum or Frankenstein or Tulpa-like story about these sprightly or elfin creatures. So uh, that's really cool to hear about folk religion from Central America. But some in Mexico are not so impressed. One anti-government journalist criticized the president, saying, If you believe it, you are stupid. If you know you are lying, you are malicious. Well, I think neither would be the case. I think he's probably just like, look, it's a really cool photo. And look, these things are ancient. They're rooted in our traditions and our history. And it's the kind of thing that could drum up excitement for going to visit Mexico. Go down to Mexico and see the, you know, the statues of fairies and elves that they call a lux. Like, I don't know, why wouldn't people be interested in that? Well, it sounds like in Mexico, the journalists there do their job and criticize their government. Now let's move on to our main story for this week, the Escalator of Doom. So it looks to me like the Russo-Ukrainian war continues to get worse. It's constantly threatening to burst out of eastern Ukraine, eastern and southern Ukraine, and become a pan-regional conflict. So now we're having problems with Moldova. It's a tiny country. The southwest of Ukraine has a big border with Ukraine. Now, only two and a half million people in Moldova. Apparently, most Moldovans don't live in Moldova which was a smart move because they've really been suffering through this war. They've had power outages because they share an electrical grid with Ukraine. They've had Ukrainian refugees stress out their welfare systems and strain local hospitality. They've had problems with unemployment because of the war. Well, now the government is saying that Russia may be planning some kind of PSYOP. Now, Russia and Moldova go way back because not only was Moldova in the Soviet Union, but when the Soviet Union collapsed, the Russians set up a kind of sort of fake country in the east part of Moldova. They call it Transnistria, and it is basically a teeny tiny enclave that exists for the purpose of protecting a giant ammo dump. Uh, apparently, the world's largest ammunition dump is in Transnistria. They're saying 20,000 tons of weapons and ammunition are kept at this one warehouse. One source that I found said that if this warehouse were to explode, it could be a 10 kiloton explosion, equivalent to 10,000 tons of TNT. Now, both Russia and Ukraine have been making vague accusations, saying that the other one is planning something in Transnistria. And so why isn't the Western press pointing out the obvious here? I mean, I suspect that both sides want to get their hands on that ammo. Although, I don't see how the Russians could ever actually get to the ammo, because uh, they'd have to go through Ukraine to get it. I think the Russians could probably insert forces by helicopter into Transnistria right now, but they wouldn't be able to get out. In any event, ominous rumblings from Transnistria and the world's largest ammo depot Let's hope there aren't any angry alucks lurking around there that desire to uh, do some kind of trickery involving fire. Could be a 10 kiloton explosion, an ecological disaster. 
Meanwhile, across the pond in uh, Iran, situation continues to worsen there. Now, they've been manufacturing kamikaze drones for Russia to use in its aerial bombardment of Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Now, Iran is going to start setting up bases or factories inside Russia to build Iranian drones, but they, they'd probably need to do that because they've been getting kamikaze drone themselves now. In January, there was some kind of kamikaze drone attack on a kamikaze drone facility. So real drone-on-drone warfare. Um, immediately afterwards, a high-ranking Ukrainian official tweeted, gloating about the attack, saying, quote, Ukraine warned you, apparently indicating that somehow Ukraine was involved in the attack on Iran's drone facility. But actually, everyone thinks it was probably Israel. And um, now a UK-based newspaper, The Telegraph, is reporting Israeli government may be in the final stages of preparation for a major bombing campaign directed against Iran's nuclear facilities. They're concerned that Iran is about to manufacture enough enriched uranium to assemble nuclear weapons. But given that Iran is Russia's most stalwart ally at this time, it certainly seems to me like an Israeli attack on Iran would be a broadening of the Russo-Ukrainian war. It's a good time to revisit some of the predictions I made about this war. This is something journalists should really do, and they just don't do it. Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you what I predicted. Do you remember back in September, I predicted that the war was going to become more of a World War I-type situation where I figured there would be a lot of violence, but not a lot of territory changing hands. Now, I did not anticipate that the Russians would withdraw from the Kharkiv region. Um, they had a bunch of Rosvgardia. These are like Russian National Guard. That's all they had up in the Kharkiv area. Um, they did not have enough troops up there. And when the Ukrainians figured it out, they were able to very quickly break through and push the Russians out of Kharkiv entirely. And then the Russians also made a tactical withdrawal of their own volition in North Kherson. And look, they went from controlling 26% of Ukraine to now they control only 16% of Ukraine. So I don't know, is that is that major territory changing hands? I think I was right about the war becoming more like World War I. There's been a lot of trench warfare, very high amounts of violence in eastern uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine without a lot of territory changing hands. But another thing I got very wrong, I thought that this winter was going to be very hard on everybody. But there was a very mild winter. It normally goes below zero and stays below zero Fahrenheit for you know days at a time in Ukraine in the winter. Did not happen this winter. It's really the, the weather has stayed in the 20s and 30s at the lowest. And often it's up in the 40s and 50s. So it has been an unusually warm winter that's spared civilians who have degraded electrical and heating infrastructure from freezing or being forced to move. It's almost certainly probably spared um, Ukrainian and Russian soldiers in the trenches from freezing to death as well. And if you're someone who just doesn't want to die, there may be more good news. So on Friday, China came forward with a 12-point peace proposal. It looks like China wants to get involved, and they would really like this war to end. The Chinese proposal has been lambasted in the American press, so I took a look at it on my own. I didn't think it was that bad. So 
There's 12 things they say they want. The first one is respecting the sovereignty of all countries. And uh, this, to me, sounds like a blow to Russia and its aspirations to take over parts of Ukraine. Remember, the Russians are claiming they've annexed um, four oblasts or four regions in Ukraine and saying, well, those are actually part of Russia. But um, the Chinese are saying the sovereignty, independence, and territorial integrity of all countries must be effectively upheld. So we think Russia should leave Ukraine. Um, they also asked for 11 other things. They want people to avoid a Cold War mentality. And they say the security of a region should not be achieved by strengthening or expanding military blocks. So that sounds like a blow to the U.S. and NATO. Now, separately, I've seen Chinese authorities saying that they think that the expansion of NATO plays some blame for the war between Russia and Ukraine. So that's something that the West probably doesn't really like, this idea that expansion of military blocks is something that should not be done. Um, the Chinese also want the fighting to stop. They want peace talks. Humanitarian issues need to be addressed. Protect the civilians and prisoners of war. Keep the nuclear power plants safe. And uh, they say nuclear weapons must not be used and nu nuclear wars must not be fought. Sure, that's kind of a, a blow to Putin and his constant making nuclear threats. They want the grain to be exported reliably. Um, certainly the war has disrupted food supply to the entire world because Ukraine exports so much grain and fertilizer. Um, and then they want a stop to sanctions. They say no sanctions that are not authorized by the UN Security Council. So that's a huge blow uh, to the United States and NATO. Well, look, I think I'd be pretty happy with this peace plan, actually. So uh, I was sort of raised, raised. I went to college, and when I took international politics classes, I remember being told that free trade was supposed to make us more peaceful because it makes countries interdependent and that barriers to trade tended to proceed, worsening of hostilities. That's been foremost in my mind as these sanctions have been implemented. I also just don't have a problem with the cessation of the strengthening of military blocks. Because I've been noticing all through this war, Ukraine really seems like they want to drag my country into the war. Um, Zelensky recently said that if China gives weapons to Russia, that will be World War III. But who told him that he was in charge of when World War III starts? It's like the sixth time I've caught Zelensky rhetorically trying to egg people into a situation where things will get out of control. So I don't want the Ukrainians in a military alliance that my country is also involved in, because they really seem to me like they're a people, not a people, but their government is a kind of government that's going to, uh, that's going to actively look for trouble. In the West, people are just saying, oh, China's got this plan, but it's very vague. And then they say, and the bigger news, supposedly, is that China's threatening to give weapons to Russia. And have you noticed that nobody's putting these two things together? To me, it's pretty clear what's going on. China's wants leverage on the war negotiations. So they want to be in a position to have some say in how the war continues to go or how it stops. 
and it looks like what they want is for it to stop. Reminding us that they can send weapons to Russia is a way to get leverage. Like, you think here yeah, this war is going to go on and on until you get everything you want, but actually we can change things so that you don't get what you want. So maybe you should wrap the war up now. I'm also noticing that China's peace plan is pretty compatible with what former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett says was the plan that the Russians and Ukrainians had worked out back in March 2022. The other thing I'm wondering, with, with the news coming out from Prime Minister Bennett that the West may have prolonged this war when there was an opportunity to get out of it, and the news that came out from Seymour Hersh, the reporter, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, that the United States may have been behind that Nord Stream pipeline attack, I'm kind of wondering if the world, especially the non-aligned world, has sort of soured on this war, and they kind of don't see things the way we do in the West, that it's Russia being an aggressor. And um, they're much more inclined to see it as like we're out of control. Maybe we're as out of control as the Russians are to them. Especially to places in the world where, you know, they really just are more concerned about food prices being high and fuel prices being high, like in India and Egypt, where lots of people are dependent on government-subsidized food. Um, they really can't afford for grain prices to go through the roof. And I think they might be resentful if they're reading news that indicates that there was a way to get out of this war back in March 2022 and Western powers didn't take it. So I don't know. The cartoonist Bill Watterson once said, a good compromise leaves everyone mad. I think there's plenty in the China peace proposal to disappoint the West and Russia. Nobody comes out the winner there. Probably the way it's going to have to be if we're going to get this war resolved. My prediction, you're not going to hear a lot of this from the Western press. The Western press is going to continue to frame things as China's about to send weapons to Russia. China's making things worse. Rather than seeing the situation as China's threatening to send weapons, probably because they're trying to get leverage in order to force an end of the war. And, you know, they're not doing that out of the goodness of their hearts. They'll be doing that because they don't want their friend ally Russia to fall apart. Because this war is not going well for Russia. And it looks like Putin is stubbornly willing to basically kill off all his working-aged males in order to avoid taking responsibility for starting a war that he wasn't competent enough or his leadership isn't competent enough to finish. Conspicuously missing from the Chinese peace plan, a clause that designates the Mayan Alux to be guardians of Ukrainian grain shipments across the Black Sea. Try to avoid World War III if you can. Until next time, I've been Dane. Todo es místico. Stay strange and stay sane.